Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Not too bad at all. Not too how's bad my volume? All. Okay. Uh, volume is fine. Cool. So, uh, um, so what happened that night? You were working on a... Uh, I was working on an assignment. Yeah. And I pretty much just felt uh, in a short time span that I don't want to be in computer science. Right. It was kind of like... Uh, it made me think of what you said before about uh, willpower is overrated, and I thought doing this for another two years would just be like more willpower than I could muster. Well, it wouldn't just be for two years, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the rest of your natural-born life. Yeah. And I, I know my roommate, my roommate loves coding, so I know what it looks like to really enjoy it. Right. I just don't, I don't have that. So what was the process that led you to get into computers to begin with? Uh, I had a, a really interesting computer science class in high school, and the teacher pretty much just let us do whatever we wanted, so we programmed games. Yeah. And I really liked the creative aspect, but ever since then it's been... I, like, I enjoy uh, writing games and stuff like that, but I don't think I could work in office applications and dry stuff like that. Right, right. Now, isn't there, uh, again, we'll just, we'll stop some of the practical stuff first, which I'm sure, sure. you've already thought of, but there are specific, uh, there are specific programs for game developers, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just don't even think I'd like programming games really anymore. What about the, um, the more artistic side of the game, such as map design or uh, the graphics and that kind of stuff? Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think maybe I could enjoy the non-coding part of creating a game, sort of like uh, the storyline or just like the vision for the game sort of thing. Right, or you could do some stuff around map design, which is more codey, but not exactly coding. Yeah. Like more scripting and, and, uh, and design? I, I don't think I could get as enthusiastic about it as I would something like being a psychologist when I'm actually changing people's lives. Well, yes, of course. That's, uh, that's where you're screwed. Yeah. I mean, technically. Um, because on the one hand, it's uh, a nice, elegant piece of code, and on the other hand, it's changing someone's life. So it's kind of not really a comparison to me. Right, and I mean, I'm certainly going to tell you from my standpoint that computers became a whole lot less interesting after I started really working out philosophy. Exactly. Um, you know, I the, found uh, the same thing. The, the, the senses are less rich than the soul, so to speak. Right. And computers, to one degree or another, are either analytical or around the senses, but not, uh, to, to hijack the term, not soulful or spiritual in a way that is really satisfying. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think if I hadn't have found free domain, I might have had 10 years of coding before I realized that I didn't love it as much, but luckily I did find Freedom Aid, so... Yeah, luckily I have detonated your school career. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way you use the word luckily. That's, I mean, you're right, but it's just not many people would see it that way. Yeah. Um, now, but you said that didn't love coding as much, and I'm just trying to understand what your emotional relationship to coding is. So do you love it? Somewhat, do you love it a little? Because you said didn't wouldn't love it as much after ten years. You'd notice that. Uh, 
I'm not sure what I meant. Um, but what is I, your experience now? Like, do do you love it, but just not as oh, much? Oh no, as no. I okay. feel right now if I if I coded again, I would lose the will to live. That's how I feel about it right now. Oh, so it's not just a matter of of love or not. It's oh. like sheer gut level raging anathema, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I, well, I that's, think maybe uh, in a couple of years I could pick it up and just dawdle around with it a little bit and not hate it. But at the moment, it's it's hate. So. Right. Right. Well, that's um, that's both good and bad at the same time. Because I mean, it's 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 bad insofar as uh, it is definitely uh, uh, withdrawing from an investment that you've made in a particular field, but yeah. it's good in that you're not tortured by a whole bunch of ambivalence, like no. a kind of you know, like torn between two lovers, feeling like a fool kind of thing. Not at and, all. Uh, so so from that standpoint, you're you're more fortunate than most insofar as you dislike something, but you also have grown to dislike it more and more relative to something else that you like more mm. and more, which is. Uh, philosophy or psychology or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, too, because I saw a psychologist uh, for about six sessions, and she pretty much said flat out that you're not going to enjoy computers anymore. And at first, I was kind of like, huh? Like, But, yeah, I realized now she was right. What did, and why, why do you think she said that? Well, she asked me what my interests were, and none of them were computer science. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, she said I I would enjoy something that's more humanitarian. So, I think she yeah she probably meant more in the humanities. Um, right. But, uh, but okay, so that's so that's interesting. So let's let's uh, this is sort of a way that I try to frame the major life decisions. Okay. Uh, are you married? No. Oh, so you can't ask what what your wife would do, uh, because no. that's the way that I do it. Like, honey, what should I do? <laughs> but but it's different now uh, because you're still a single man, so you still have this annoying free will thing. Yeah. So. Um, so let's go go to your grave, gravestone, right? So you're a young guy, but let's say in 60 years or so, they're throwing you down for the big dirt nap and they're throwing the dirt on your face. And what would you like to see sort of carved on your tombstone? Not good coder. Kind of, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, made the world a better place, maybe? Maybe. And uh, enjoyed but, uh, every minute of it? Yeah, okay. So would that be the I mean, I'm not trying to corner you and you can change the answer any time you like. Sure. But made the world a better place and enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, that's what you would like to see on your um on your tombstone and I can certainly tell you from my own direct experience that there's nothing that's more enjoyable than making the world a better place. So it's not an end, it's an interwoven um, although the challenge is to learn to love a world that's pretty corrupt, but we can talk about that <laughs> another time. But um so uh, you would like to sort of be a force for truth, light, virtue, enlightenment, you know, and, and all of that sort of good stuff in the world. Is that is that right? Yeah, I'd like to be a Steph Mini. Oh, I'd like you to be a Steph Maxi. Hell, pick it up where I <laughs> drop it off and oh. keep it moving forward. Um, so what uh, what field do you uh, do you see? Well, sorry. Um, so when you look at that as your as your tombstone, that is going to be the life that when you're sitting on your deathbed, you're going to look back and say, well, I couldn't have done much better than that, right? Yeah. And that's really important. I think it's, it's sort of important to work from the goal backwards, right? And mm -hmm. figure out what you need to do to get there. So, I mean, there are a number of different approaches that you can take to making the world a better place. Uh, everything from just being, uh, you know, working in a Joe job and, and raising a happy kids yourself. Uh, you can... Um, 
uh, run for office. No, I'm just kidding. You can uh, you can be a writer, you can be uh, a, a musician and sing songs about making the world a better place. Uh, you can uh, uh, you know you can become a radio personality. You, you, it's any you could write screenplays like this. A whole bunch of things that you could do. Uh, but what is it that you think would? Um, uh, I mean, what's your what's your tolerance for risk, and what is your sort of ideal lifestyle? Is it sort of middle to upper class? Are you happy living in a loft with three other unshaven people, or what is it that you're looking for? That's an interesting question because up until fairly recently, I would have said uh, I want to be very successful. But uh, talking with the therapist, she kind of uh, uncovered that that was more my dad's dream for me than my own. Right, right. So, I, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I think I would like to be comfortable, but I'm not sure if a mansion is something that I that I really care about. Well, that's good because I don't know that there's any philosophical or psychological pursuit that can give you a mansion other than yeah. <laughs> which involves more drugging children than helping them. Um, but so, but that's sort of an extreme, right? To look for a mansion is to look for being in the top 0.1% of the population in terms of income. But um, what is this sort of minimum? Like, what is the standard somewhere above living on a cardboard box selling pencils and screaming philosophical obscenities into the gritty winds of downtown? Somewhere between that and a mansion, where's your sort of comfort zone or where would you feel like uh, a minimum acceptable level of comfort would be for you materially? I'm actually pretty comfortable right now without a car, just living with a roommate. Uh, I One thing I would like is a view of a body of water of some sort. But other than that, I, I could take the bus, really. Right, okay, okay. And uh, would you feel comfortable raising your children uh, in an apartment, or would you, uh, uh, would you feel good that question. a townhouse or a house would be... Sorry? Good question. Um, that assumes children, but uh, I think I would like children. Uh yeah, I, I well, would I'm like... Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm, the reason that I ask you that is I, I certainly didn't get the sense that you didn't want children even from when we met, um, but because you'd have to be a lot unhappier to not want... I mean, that's sort of my theory. <laughs> but, um, but it, and the reason for that, of course, is that the decisions that you make now, it, it, you don't want to make decisions that preclude you being what you would consider to be a successful father or a good provider. Because right. the decisions you make now are going to affect that, right? Yeah. So if you don't want kids, no biggie, right? You just have more money for yourself. But if you end up wanting more money than you have, it's kind of tough to go back in time and build up your capital, if that makes sense. Yeah. That is a good point because I would like to either send my kids to a private school or or if I had time, I could homeschool them. But, yeah, I would like to be able to provide them with, like, the best medical services and give them a good education, so I guess middle class is probably when I need to be able to do that. Well, it depends, of course, right? I mean, because you're in Canada, I mean, you have to get pretty rich to be able to fly them all over the world for medical services, plus it's not too likely that your kids would require more than the standard care available under sort of our socialized medical system. Right. So that shouldn't be a huge deal. Uh, as far as education goes, um, Homeschooling is certainly an option depending on which career you're going to end up choosing, right? So if you end yeah. up wanting to be a you know, sort of the itinerant wandering philosopher guy, then you'll certainly have the time to homeschool your children. But if you decide to become a psychologist, then you won't really have the time to homeschool your children, but then you would be able to afford um, a, uh, a private school. Yeah. So I think either way I could probably 
figure that out. Okay, okay, uh, I've got it. And um, uh, how do you feel in terms of, and this is going to sound like an odd question, but I'll throw it out there anyway. How do you feel in terms of your sexual security insofar as uh, picking up a girl <laughs> for a date? With no money. <laughs> right, no, I mean, seriously, this important thing, right? Because... Uh -huh. uh, depending on your level of sexual confidence, which is not a good or bad thing, right? Uh, picking up the girl for a date in a, in a bus uh, may, yeah. may not, might, might be troubling for some people, but other people it might be like uh, a charming and bizarre kind of confidence. So uh, that's another thing to, to, to take into account. And I only say that because I was so shallow in my, even into my 30s that the fact that I had an expensive car gave me sort of a thrill when I was picking up girls for a date, which shouldn't have because those girls proved to be rather uniformly not uh, worth it, and the woman who married me uh, did so when I was unemployed. So, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, it didn't turn out to be a very good criteria, but it is something that's important to consider. That is something I don't think I could answer right now. I'd probably have to think about it. Okay, it's. I mean, this is this is not you can't solve it all in one conversation, but these are right. just the various criteria. That I'll I, write that down. I, right, and of course, you'll get a recording of this, and and should you feel that uh, it would be, I think it would be a great conversation for others to listen to, because I know there's a lot of people in the same boat, but you'll have a chance to listen to it if you release it as a podcast. Um, you'll, of course, get a chance to write these questions down and answer them in more detail. My initial reaction to that is that I don't think it would bother me too much. Maybe if I was, like, dirt poor, uh, it might be difficult, but uh, I don't think I'd want the kind of girl that's only going to go out with me for a nice car anyway, so... Well, that's true, but you do face a challenge insofar as if you want to end up in sort of a situation like I have where you're making, I don't know, a fifth less than you were <laughs> making before, but fortunately you have a wife who's uh, willing to be generous enough with her income, then, I mean, this is all part of the planning, right? That, that yeah. It takes a fair amount of confidence to bag a rich chick uh, when <laughs> you're... That's all I'm saying, right? So. Yes. So that's, uh, that's sort of important. Of course, if your nickname is the tripod, that might be a whole lot easier <laughs> on that kind of stuff. So uh, these are just considerations to have, right, that, that you don't want to end up feeling like you have nothing to offer a woman because you're broke, right, because yeah. that's going to seriously interfere with your romantic success, right? And, and so, uh, you know, that, that's just stuff to, to, to keep in mind. Now, what's your level of uh, entrepreneurial drive? I mean, and the reason that I ask that is that, it's quite different to sort of do what I do, and I sort of have an entrepreneurial background to a large degree, and I've only really ever had one regular job in the computer industry as a COBOL programmer, and after that it was mostly all entrepreneurial. So I'm more comfortable with that kind of stuff, but there are other people, and it's not a good or bad thing, there are other people who are less comfortable with that, and of course, if you become a psychologist or a psychiatrist, then you will have a kind of structure and require much less entrepreneurial drive to make a success of yourself. Um, this, I think, is a little bit interwoven with my dad's dream for me uh, because I would have said a couple of years ago that I have a really high entrepreneurial drive because my plan from my childhood was start a software company and become a multimillionaire and retire at 30 or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Boy, too, too bad the 90s ended, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think I have a fairly high entrepreneur, entrepreneurial drive. I, I, don't, uh, like, I don't think I would be happy with a 9-to-5 office job. 
and I don't mind working odd hours and things like that. So, okay. And what is your um, what is your pleasure in terms of travel? And I'm going to ask you that just in terms of uh, when I first started traveling for business, I thought it was the best thing ever. Yeah, you know, I get to travel the hotel, and then within about six months, it was like, oh God, like who who, uh, who can I pay? Uh, which church can I join against all my beliefs to get someone to travel for me? So uh, some people just like to travel, and I because also I'm a light sleeper and have trouble adjusting to time zones. Uh, it becomes mm-hmm. just an exercise in exhaustion. Uh, so wh- what's your preference in terms of travel? Because there are certain uh, like if you become a public speaker, there's going to be a lot of travel versus a psychologist where it's much less. I think it would be pretty taxing on me. Uh, I, right. I, I think I'm probably like you in that in that regard that I would enjoy it initially and then eventually hate it. Oh yeah, like the three cities in four days is just. And yeah. I find it very stressful to travel because I'm not particularly well organized, uh, except in my thoughts, <laughs> so uh, or my fantasies, some might say. But um, but but it's less fun for me because I'm always like, oh, where's my ticket? And do I have am I in the right place? Have the right gate? You know, I'm so distracted by thoughts running through my head that it's not very good for me to. I'm not a very relaxed traveler from that standpoint, whereas some people are more relaxed. So. So that's just another sort of consideration to have. Now, what is your level of comfort or, or pleasure in terms of public speaking? Uh, I won a couple of awards in high school for public speaking, and I was on the radio. But I find it difficult, but I think less difficult than most people do. So, you, but Well, difficult, of course, right? I mean, going to the gym can be difficult, but the question is, what is the reward for you emotionally? Uh... I'm not really a natural performer. I don't think I get that performance high, but I don't see public speaking as something that I really want to avoid. So it was sort of if it came along, you would do it, but it's not something that you'd want to base your your career around. Yeah. I, I don't really find it... Uh, I don't really think it's a plus or minus for me. It's just work, really, which I think is unusual because most people hate it. Or they love it, right? I mean, one of the two. Yeah, right. Okay, well, that's uh, that's very interesting. And um, do you prefer to work alone, or do you prefer to work in a group setting? Wow, these questions are tough. Um, and and I would by have... that, I will, sorry to interrupt, but by that, I will assume that a group of like-minded people, not like, do you want to join a, uh, at the post office or something. Right. Um... Well, I'm pretty introverted, so I like to be alone most of the time, but uh, but I also like being part of a team. <laughs> uh, well, no, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's okay. good to know what your capacities are, right, and, and likes and dislikes and so on. So what what, what we're trying to do is, is to sort of give some shape to the decision-making process of where it is that you want to go, right, because you don't want to invest another two years and a quarter million dollars in expenses and lost income uh, to find that it's not the right thing for you either. And these questions aren't going to be able to determine that for certain, but they certainly will be able to reduce the odds of, of making another mistake. Uh, yeah. Not that this is particularly a mistake where you are, right? It's just sort of where you were, but that's what these... So there's no definitive answers. It's just a way of being able to balance the questions. I completely lost the question for you there, didn't I? I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, so you're comfortable with, in a group or in an individual setting, so it's not a negative for you to work in a group, but you also don't mind working alone. Yeah, I don't think I could work on like uh, the floor of the stock exchange or something like that because it would just drain me too much. But I like people uh, when I can 
sort of control when I when I come and go sort of thing. Got it, got it. Now, when it comes to interacting with people, this may be a little bit more theoretical, but when it comes to interacting with people in terms of trying to help them think more clearly or uh, trust their instincts more or become happier, do you think that you would prefer a shorter-term exposure to them or would you prefer to work with them for months or years? So, think- uh, Sorry, just, just, just to clarify that a little bit more. Um, uh, my wife is fantastic at working with people in the long term. I would be terrible at working with people in the long term. So, I, you know, like this conversation, I bungee really? provide what? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I mean, if I had to see a patient for, if I was a psychologist and I had to see a patient for a year, I'd go completely mental. Oh. Uh, but hmm. I can bungee in and give people some useful stuff. Uh, so I prefer working with people in the short term. Uh, and so there are some people who will do like a weekend seminar or whatever, right? And they come yeah. in and come in 16 hours with them or 12 hours with them or whatever. And then they go off and do their thing. And then there's other uh, people who prefer working with, you know, they might work with a guy for two years or three years, right? Uh, so do you have any particular preference that way or? I think I could do either, but I think I would prefer long term. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, um with regards to uh, to academics, right? Because there's there's ways of achieving. I think we're zeroing in, and let me know what you think. But okay. there's ways of achieving things which involve more of the entrepreneurial go out and make it happen kind of thing. And then there's stuff where you go and you get accredited, and you know you get your PhD in psychology or your master's in psychology, and then you are um, less entrepreneurial. And and the, the big distinction here is that if you're accredited. Uh, then you can uh, be paid by insurance companies, which mm-hmm. allows people to come and see you uh, without as much financial strain. But of course, you can just set yourself up tomorrow as a psychotherapist or some non-regulated term and just start advertising that I'm a talking dude that'll make you feel better. And you know, right. So uh, in terms of um, uh, accreditation versus initiation or just brute force willing it on people, uh, which do you think you would uh, be happier in? Uh, I think accreditation, uh, just because I hate calling, like, uh, calling places to try to get business. I've tried that before for a summer company and it was just awful. Well, it is tough. And, and, uh, I certainly remember when Christina started Meadowvale, uh, she was not uh, at all pleased about going into the doctor's offices to flog her wares, so to speak. So, and, and th- that was easier for me to, to do and to, because I've done it before uh, mm-hmm. and, and didn't mind it. So that's an important thing to understand as well. There is a kind of um, almost radical insouciance in saying, I'm not accredited, but believe me anyway. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not sure, I mean, if I only had a high school education, say, I'm not sure that I would not feel a bit more reticent about, like the fact that I've been to grad school and got a master's from an Ivy League school doesn't hurt in terms of... Uh, in terms of what it is that I'm trying to do here. Uh, and of course, in, in a way, if I had a PhD in psychology, sorry, in philosophy from Harvard, what I'm doing with Free Domain Radio might be even less credible because then it would be, well, why aren't you a professor, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. so I sort of got the perfect balance in that standpoint. So it sounds to me, it sounds to me that um, you would prefer to work with people, and I'm guessing, since this is the kind of stuff that you're interested in, that you would prefer to work with people in the realm of ideas rather than medicine. Yeah, definitely. So psychology would be preferable to psychiatry. Definitely, yeah. Okay, okay. I well, have some experience with uh, psychiatry and uh, did not like it. 
No, I think it's a pretty brutal occupation at the moment. It's been pretty, it's pretty, pretty perverted, perverted oh, yeah. number of government initiatives. But so, they, what, where does this leave you in terms of decision making? And again, there's nothing final here. We're just trying to step through some of the matrix that can help you make a more productive decision. Um, I think I would be fairly happy being a psychologist. Uh, I, I just have two concerns about it. One would be that I would be stuck with people who aren't of the quality of the Freedom Ain listeners. So, you mean in terms of patients? Yeah. Right. So, I don't know. If I was with working with alcoholic moms who beat their kids or something like that. Well, you I, wouldn't be, though, right? Because, you, you, I mean, just, just to, from a practical standpoint. They you, wouldn't come. Well, no, you, A, they wouldn't come, but even if they did, you can't treat anyone who's abusing a substance. Okay. And, of course, if, if somebody was, uh, was committing a crime, such as beating their children, you would uh, be required to requ- report that to, to the police. Okay. Yeah. And, and sorry, and finally, um, just, just so you know, I mean, the, there's a filtering process at Free Domain Radio. As you see, every now and then there's a purge of people who are kind of jerky. Mm-hmm. So you have the same prerogatives, of course, as a practitioner that you can not, uh, you can not treat anyone that you don't want to. You just refuse to treat them, right? You're not bound to treat anyone. I just want to be careful that I don't have the ideal of having only bright-eyed, young philosophy lovers as patients, and then I end up with kind of lesser patients, if you know what I'm well, saying. Well, yeah, for sure. You, you don't want to set yourself up to, uh, you know, hey, if I go on the single screws, it's going to be only supermodels who have... Yeah. Here, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You want to be realistic in that. But I think that you've known enough about the world, and you've seen enough of what's gone on at Freedom Aid Radio that, that you know that there's like a lot of people out there who aren't going to be productive to talk to, mm-hmm. but they're much less likely to, to call, right? Like right. Trolls, trolls come to a free board. They don't mm-hmm. tend to pay thousands of dollars to a therapist. Right. Okay. And the other concern I would have about being a psychologist is I'm not sure I have that natural empathy that I think a psychologist needs. Okay, so tell me more about what you mean by that. Well, I, I think I I tend to approach people in emotional suffering kind of stoically. And would you say that you do that to yourself as well? Yeah, definitely. And do you think that that would be something you would like to change in yourself, or do you think it's a good approach? I would like to, to change it, especially if I have kids, because uh, if you remember that uh, young girl that called in that time... When she falls down and bangs her knee, she would run to my mom, not to me, because I would just be kind of like robotically, uh, I I wouldn't have that natural empathy that a kid would like. Well, you may, you may not. I mean, it's hard to say in uh, in advance of the situation, but I mean, first of all, there's nothing wrong with the kid going to mom instead of dad, right? Yeah. I mean... Women are, you know, to be stereotypical, women are generally better at that kind of stuff right. uh, than, than men are. Men do have a kind of empathy, but they also have a kind of impatience when it comes to empathy. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's really a bad thing, right? So the, the stereotype is that women will talk about all the problems in the world and never solve one of them, right? right. And uh, the idea is that men don't talk about any problems but get them solved, right? So yeah. It's it's not. I wouldn't say necessarily that it's a bad thing. I mean, where is it that you feel that, or 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 by what standard do you feel that that's a bad thing? Um, 
I mean, who to was it something you decided yourself, or was it something that somebody communicated to you explicitly or implicitly? That's a good question. I think my mom might have communicated that to me. Well, you know, certain types of women, particularly immature women, are consistently frustrated with the way that men act or interact. I mean, I remember having a girlfriend years ago. I'd be on the phone with an old friend of mine, and we'd talk for an hour about politics, philosophy, economics, and, and whatever, right? And uh, then we'd hang up the phone, both completely satisfied with the conversation. And my girlfriend would say, well, what's the matter with you guys? You don't ever talk about anything personal or anything real. It's like, huh. well, that's personal and real to us, right? <laughs> so she was constantly irritated, like, like, how's his wife doing and stuff? It's like, well, I assumed if she was in traction, he would have told me, right? So yeah. I assumed he's fine. But there's a lot of, uh, and of course, men, men are the same way with women, but there are lots of women who define feminine traits as virtuous and then or or good and then any man who does not display these feminine traits to a great degree is called bad and that's sort of why i wanted to ask you whether or not this thing called empathy had been defined as something you just don't possess and then you were called deficient for lacking it i th i think i i have empathy i just i'm not very good at showing it so it might well but sorry sorry to interrupt again what would it mean to say to show empathy like what would be an example of that where you were deficient well uh one example is my mom told me when she was seeing a therapist and uh she was relating some really tragic childhood events her therapist actually was crying and uh i just can't ever see myself uh, being able to, well, at the moment I can't see myself being able to display that kind of emotion very easily. Well, because, and, and sorry, because because you you don't feel that emotion, or because you feel it but, but fear expressing it? The second option, yeah. So you do feel, feel that kind of emotion, but you don't express it? Right. Right, okay, well, yeah, then I think that that would be the case. Um, and how did your mom tell you about this, right? Did she tell you about this, like, look at how emotional I can be and you're deficient, or was there some other way that she brought it up with you? Um, it was, I don't think it was, I don't think she was talking about my empathy when she was telling me that. It was just uh, on the way home from seeing my therapist, we were just talking about her therapy and my therapy and our experiences, so I don't think it was a put-down. Okay, but you have felt at times that it was a put-down, right? Uh, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think, but I, I think in, uh, in other uh, instances, she has sort of put me down as having a lack of empathy, but not in that, not Yeah, in that not there. Sense. And is this a complaint that she also has about your father? Uh... I'm not sure, probably, but uh, not that I can, I can't remember her saying it. So, does she has, she has she has she ever mentioned a man who she feels has the correct amount of empathy? Um, not that I can remember. And has she ever said, um, "Help me to understand what it is that I did as a parent"? that was deficient to the point where you have less empathy for yourself. Definitely not. But, but that's a reasonable question, right? I mean, right. If, if a coach says to a gymnast that he's been training for 15 years, you're not jumping high enough, 
the coach can't distance himself from that instruction, right? The instruction that he's given over the past 15 years. Does that make sense? Yeah. One thing that she said to me that actually made me pretty angry was, uh, you just don't care about people. And I was kind of like, well, why do you think I'm in philosophy and that I'm actually trying to uncover the roots of problems to fix them? Wait, wait, but sorry. I she said to you, you don't care about people. Yeah. But do you realize what a crazy statement that is, right? Yeah. Because if you genuinely did not care about people, that yeah, would not care. bother you, yeah. people, right? Mm -hmm. So she must think that you do care about people, but she's telling you that you don't. Why? What were the circumstances that gave rise to that comment? Uh, I was kind of grilling her about uh, her uh, about religion. Is she as religious? Uh, she was religious, and she raised us religiously, but. Uh, Sort of because of uh, my grilling her, she's become less religious. And since she divorced my dad about two or three years ago, all her religious friends uh, pretty much shunned her because she got divorced. So she kind of saw how hollow it is. <laughs> so it didn't work for her anymore, and now she's not as uh, as faithful. Right. Right, right, right. All her so, lifelong friends were whoosh gone. So now, when uh, when you use the term grilling, is that your term or your mother's term? That's my term. And why do you say it's grilling? Uh, because there's some anger in it, being raised religiously. Okay, so I mean, the, you definitely care about that, and you feel that there's some hypocrisy in your mother's approach, right? Oh, definitely. So she could give up religion when she didn't like it anymore or when it didn't work for her anymore or when her friends shunned her. But you weren't allowed to give up religion when you didn't like it, right? Definitely not. <laughs> okay. So when you are, are, are asking her these questions, what's her reaction? Um, well, she's, she said sorry for raising me religiously, but I don't feel it emotionally really. Okay, so why is she saying sorry? Uh, and, and I'm sure you're right, right? So she's, she's saying sorry uh, as a way of getting you to, to, to stop bothering her about it, right? Um, could be, could be. That's probably, probably it. Well, what does she... Okay, so, so you say, I didn't appreciate being raised religiously, and she says, I'm sorry. But, but why is she sorry? Is she sorry just, well, I'm sorry you don't like it, or is she like, I'm sorry because there is, in fact, no God, and I was just being conformist, and I inflicted it on you? Or, like, what right. is her sorry for? Exactly. Uh, she said she's sorry for forcing me to go to church, and she was conforming to her friends' beliefs and stuff like that. Okay, and, um, uh, and, and, and now, of course, the interesting thing is that she then calls you, she says that you don't care for people, right? Mm-hmm. I think she was she was saying that about because I don't display the emotion. Now, did she display emotion about God in the past? In what way? Well, did she claim that God loved her? Uh, did she have any kind of emotional attachment to church, or was it entirely like e even down to fear? Right, fear. Of, she must have gone to church for some emotional reason because there's no rational reason to go. Right. So, what was the emotions that for her were bound up? in the realm of religion? Um, I think 
Well, we were talking about it recently, and she said she sort of saw God as like a, a superhero that protected her. And I think the other half is conformity. Okay, so, so she had a kind of fantasy uh, of comfort and protection, and she also had a fear of disapproval, which she then projected to a, a metaphysical creation called God, or something like that, right? So it would seem reasonable to say that she taught you that emotions can be entirely false and manipulative. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> can be. I don't mean that they always are. But certainly in the example of your mother, she felt that God was there to protect her, and she felt a fear of uh, criticism from others. And so what she uh, taught you when you were growing up was that emotions are uh, simply things that you use to manipulate others in, and reduce your anxiety. Yeah, you're spot on. Right, so when she was um, dragging you off to church because of her own needs and her own anxieties, um, it could scarcely be said that she was caring for you, right? Mm-hmm. That is, yeah, you nailed it there. That's when I, I kind of see emotions as manipulations. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And so when you, um, and, and so you, you were taught that, that emotion, and again, I'm, I'm simplifying it. I know that there's all the shades of gray in the universe, but we'll just simplify it for the moment. You were taught that uh, emotionality was a manipulative and bullying and moral tool, right? Because you were mm-hmm. told to go to church because it was good to go to church, right? Your mom didn't say, go to church because I'm afraid I'll get criticized if you don't. Yeah. Right? Because God exists and he's good and you should go. It's moral or whatever. So when when your mother says that you, um, you seem to lack a certain kind of emotionality, uh, it would seem to me that what she's saying is, you don't manipulate other people the way that I do. So it's a nice compliment, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, if, if that's what she believes emotionality is, right? I mean, has she, has she inquired as to your emotional experience of being told to go to church? Has she inquired as to the long-term effects that that's had on you? No. Right, so it's still all about her, right? I guess so, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm certainly willing to hear arguments to the contrary, because when you say, I guess so, <laughs> you've come to some conclusion, right? Uh, you're right, yeah. I mean, if she hasn't shown any curiosity about the emotional effects that this has had on you, then she can't be being curious, uh, and therefore she can't, uh, she can't really be empathizing with you. Right. So if she only has the capacity to, quote, empathize with herself, which is another way of saying narcissistic manipulation of other people for the sake of reducing personal anxiety or achieving an illusory goal of, of happiness, right? If, if that is her definition of, uh, of empathy, then when you say to yourself, I maybe I lack the empathy that is required, what you're saying is I may not be a good therapist because I won't exploit my patients. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, the reason that I, I, I sort of wanted to talk about this and, and drill into it in a bit of detail is that in families, as, as you know, if you've probably heard some of the mythology podcasts, and I know you have a copy, of course, of On Truth, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we get uh, mythologies uh, placed upon us in families, right? So we're children, and, you know, we're the troublemaking one, we're the difficult one, we're the nice one, we're the good one, we're the responsible one, and you have had a particular label placed upon you called the, you know, the kid who lacks empathy or something like that, right? The robot. 
the robot, right? And and I think uh, certainly from my experience, the ability to make somebody else cry uh, does not mean that you have empathy, right? It means that you have self-pity, and maybe your <laughs> therapist has self-pity as well, right? But I mean. You know, I've had people in movies make me cry, but that doesn't mean that they have empathy for me. It just means that they're good at acting, right? <laughs> I've had onions make me cry. It's not like the vegetable has a big amount of empathy for me, right? <laughs> I mean, that's not the definition of empathy, right? The definition of empathy is sensitivity towards the emotional states of other people, not okay. yourself. Not yourself. If you're only sensitive to your own emotional states, that's called narcissism. And so the fact that your mother calls you a robot or cold or unempathetic means that she does not have empathy to your emotional state. And so what she is actually doing is called projection, wherein we blame others for our own shortcomings. So how do I remove the feeling that I'm being manipulative when I express emotion? Just by knowing? Or just by practice? Or... Well, you use the real-time relationship, right? So let's say that you're talking to someone and you express an emotion and then you say to that person, how did you feel when I expressed that emotion? And try and be as honest as you can. And then if that person says, you know, I felt kind of manipulated, then that would be a good indication as long as you feel that they're being genuine, right? But, but you, uh, you test it, right, like anything else. You're subjected to empirical observation. But the first thing you have to do is break free of the mythology that you are a cold and unemotional person, right? Right. Because that's just a story, and that's, uh, of course, a more accurate description. Uh, like, anybody who says that to a child, especially the parent, is in fact a cold, manipulative, and unempathetic person. I'm surprised we came here from uh, career advice. <laughs> well, no, no, but this is, this is the core of the career advice, right? Because... It could well be that the reason you ended up in computer science is because you felt that you were an unempathetic person and maybe technical discipline would be the best thing for you. Yeah. Right? So it could well be that this is the mythology that got you into your current career, which then through your involvement in this conversation, you've managed to sort of find uh, a sort of uh, a buried aspect to yourself or you could say a non-mythologized aspect of yourself. But, of course, if you, if you go into the realm of therapy with the definition that you are an unempathetic person, that is going to make what could be a very pleasurable experience kind of an uphill battle because you'll be fighting your mother's cold, ghostly voice in your head the whole time, right? Yeah. I mean, it could be entirely possible that you are by far the most empathetic person in your family. But yeah. what you empathize with, when you empathize with someone who's cold, you feel cold, right? Right. So the fact that you don't feel that much with regards to your family might be an indication that you are the most empathetic person there. I also think it would be pretty destructive if I continue to see emotions as manipulative while I'm a therapist because I would just feel like all my patients were manipulating me all the time. Well, but to some degree you would be correct, right? Because one of the reasons that people do go to therapy is because they don't know how manipulative they are. Right, but, uh, but first thing to and but but you need to be aware of that, and not reject it, right? Because you need to embrace the like you need to be empathetic towards the manipulation, and right now you're not empathetic towards your mom's manipulation. What happens is you're you're empathetic towards your mom's mythology, 
but you've got to go to the next step and be empathetic to what's really going on, not just to what her story is about what's going on. Okay. And how do I do that? More therapy? Well, um, again, it's the, not to pound a dead horse, but it's the real-time relationship. Uh, You sit down with your mom and you say, uh, help me understand what you mean by cold and unemotional. And, uh, and then you tell her, you give her the running commentary, the subtitles of what you're feeling when she says stuff, right? So when she says, well, you just don't empathize with people. It's like, well, tell me what that means. Because it seems to me that when you tell me I just don't empathize with people, you're not empathizing with me. Right. Like it doesn't feel good. I don't feel encouraged. I don't feel – and I also feel – I don't feel like you're taking any responsibility for your role as the parent in coaching me about my emotional life. Okay. Right. Clearly, a woman who's gone through a divorce uh, may not be um, – it should – or anybody who's gone through a divorce should have some humility with regards to their own emotional skill set. Right. Right. And, um, and also, you know, um, uh, you, you can describe to her your feelings of your experience with her, right? Like, you know, you say that you're sorry, but I don't get it emotionally. You know, because when people say you're not empathetic, what they mean is you're not responding in the way that I want you to when I manipulate you. Okay. You know, it's like the TV set that doesn't quite work. You just bang it. And that's what calling names in families is almost always. You're supposed to be a little love and approval robot. You're not giving me the love and approval I want, so I'm going to just bang you around the head a bit, either, you know, verbally or physically. But I, I would start with the assumption that you are not broken, right? I would start with the assumption that you are a, a healthy young man, and if you don't feel something, there's a damn good reason for it. Okay. Because if that problem were solved for you, if you were, were genuinely aware or believed or had evidence for your own capacity for empathy then the possibility of being a happy psychologist, whether at the master's or a PhD level, would be that much greater, right? Right. But if you feel like, well, I could be a good research uh, therapist if I got to work with rats and spiders, but with human <laughs> beings, I'd, just, I'd break them with my icy heart or something. <laughs> you know, that, wouldn't be, right? that wouldn't give you the, the tombstone that you're looking for, right? W- right? What's good with spiders is not what we want on our tombstones, right? Right. His rats made it through the, the maze the quickest. But uh, yeah, I would say just just based on uh, a small amount of information, and of course this is all subject to your review and and, and acceptance with with whatever works for you, but uh, it doesn't sound to me like your mom has empathy for you. And it doesn't sound to me like uh, uh, she has the capacity to be curious about others. So that is your template. And you can't empathize with a narcissist because a narcissist will only use your emotions to control you, to have you serve her needs, right? So empathizing with a narcissist in a, real way, like in a real way is rejecting the narcissist manipulation because you get what's really going on underneath. If you empathize with the surface of the, narcissistic's, of the narcissist's feelings like your mom's therapist did, then you will feel a certain kind of emotionality, but it won't be, uh, it won't be real because it doesn't sound like she uh, is really warm and supportive of you and, and therefore if you lack a certain kind of emotionality with her, that would seem to me to be entirely rational. This is complicated stuff. <laughs> and, and what's complicated for you? Uh, just uh, 
all this below the surface type of things. Well, I don't know that. It, I mean, I I know it seems complicated, but uh, it, it's 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 just UPB, right? I mean, it's uh, if if somebody says, if somebody hurts you by saying you're not empathetic, then clearly they're not empathizing with you, right? Right. If somebody gives you a correction that doesn't make you feel positive and motivated, then they're not trying to help you. I don't know if you read any of the stuff. Um, Nate, Nate posted on the board some stuff where this guy was criticizing this definition that we work with of love being the involuntary response to, to virtue. And this guy was just being dismissive and saying, oh, man, if I was to write a dictionary, you'd be the last person in the world I'd come to and was Ouch. insulting and this and that, right? And uh, I was just saying, well, don't debate with the guy. It's like, oh, but what if he's right? It's like, well, that's like saying, you know, a guy can stab me and maybe he'll hit a tumor, right? <laughs> I mean, if somebody, uh, if somebody helps you uh, by, by, by sort of, quote, hurting you, uh, it's so accidental that you'd never, you'd never do it. And there are people out there who can help you in a positive way. Right, so um, so this is just UPB, right? Somebody who hurts you by telling you the truth is not being empathetic, right? And so if they criticize you for lack of empathy and it feels bad, then you say, well, it feels really bad. And then they'll say, well, that's only because it's true, right? And they'll just make you feel even worse, right? And the real-time relationship is saying, Mom, when you say that, I feel terrible. It actually made me feel angry. And, and you say that too, right? When you say yeah. that, it makes me feel angry. And then she's going to say, because I've hit a nerve, or it's words to that effect, right? Because it's true, right? And you say, no, because then what you're saying is that every time I'm told the truth, I get angry. But when someone says to me, two plus two is four, I don't get angry. I don't remember getting angry when someone told me that the world was round. I don't remember getting angry when someone told me that, you know, Washington is the capital of Washington <laughs> or something, right? So it's not that I get angry whenever anybody tells me the truth. I get angry because what I feel is that you're putting me down and trying to be superior and also taking no responsibility for your role in parenting me in terms of my emotional, the result of this, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it would seem to me that, that if your mom is, is saying this because it serves her purpose to think that you're unemotional, rather than that she is manipulative, right? Because if we try to manipulate someone and they don't fall into line, we will get angry at them, right? Yeah. Right? Like the same way that if you, if you run the counterfeiter's false bill under a scanner, he's going to get upset at you, right? Mm -hmm. So for most people, uh, if they are manipulative and somebody's not responding, they will almost inevitably call that person cold and unemotional, rather than, you know, you're not falling for my trick. I guess I should stop trying to be manipulative. <laughs> that would be nice if people were. Just well, it would like be, that. but but to do that, you have to respect your own emotional apparatus, and to understand that there's a good reason why you don't empathize in the way that your mom says you should, and that it would be actually really, really bad if you did. Because you're onto your mom's game, right? You're onto your mom's number. Deep down, you get it, which is why you don't respond in the way that she wants.
you can't be uh, i mean you can't you can't respect that kind of interaction right no you can't feel cared for you can't feel um, that to empathize with, you can't feel encouraged, you can't feel like it's a discussion, right? This is just a judgment, it's a sentence. You're cold. You lack empathy. You don't care for other people. Translation. You're not responding to my manipulations in a way that I like, so I'm just going to insult you. That's not very pleasant, right? And uh, what, what are you thinking about? What it is that we're what, what it is that I'm talking about? I, I just think you're right. Um, if I talk long enough, eventually I will be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you shoot a thousand arrows over a hill. Every now and then, you'll hit a bullseye. But uh, but but what is it that you're feeling about about this? Because this is you've you've labored under this label for quite some time, right? Yeah. Um. I just think it's going to be difficult to um, break out of this label. Well, no, it's not, right? And, and this is why I'm going to be annoying, as I usually am <laughs> at these sorts of times, right? It's not going to be hard to do it in terms of practically how do you do it. It's going to be very hard to do it emotionally. And what you do is you just, as, as we've talked about, like the way out of the cage is the foggy center, right? So what you do to break out of this label is you are simply relentlessly vulnerable with your mother and you see what happens. Okay. <laughs> right? So, you know, you, you sit down with your mom and you say, I feel bad when this happens, I feel mad when this happens, and so on. And you see how well she handles your vulnerability because she says, well, you're not open to me and that's bad and so on. So fuck it, be open to her and see what happens. That's the way to break out of the label, right? If everybody tells me that I'm just cold and this and that, right? okay, here I'm being open, right? And maybe it's not convenient to you because part of what I'm open about is being angry and upset about stuff. But you can't claim anymore that I'm not being open or vulnerable and, um, and then see what they do, right? I mean, if I say to my wife, if you, if you park the car on the left, I'll be perfectly happy. And then when she parks her car on the left and I'm mad, then she's recognized that this was just a manipulation. And so if your mom says, well, you're cold and you don't express your feelings and so on, then you start expressing your feelings and you see what happens. She should be jumping up and down for joy. Oh, what a breakthrough. How fantastic. But you know she won't, right? Well, there's only one way to find out, I guess. Uh, well, you know, but you don't know yet, right? You know deep down, which is why you don't do it. But you, that's the way to break out of this, this label is to simply uh, say, okay, let's say that everything you say about me is true, so I'm going to act in the opposite manner and let's see if that makes you happy. Sometimes when I when I'm open, it feels like uh, someone's poking a whole bunch of holes in me, and I'm kind of draining out a bit. And sure, but that's because what happens. Sorry to interrupt, but that's because what happens is you're trying to reach to connect with a narcissist, and that means that you're falling off a cliff. Yeah, and I feel like I have to retreat. Right. Well, don't retreat. Fall off that cliff. Okay. <laughs> you know, just keep reaching out until you know you can't reach out any further, right? That's how you get out of these traps, right? I mean, you're a, you're a big guy now. You can handle falling off the cliff, right? You couldn't when you were five or six or ten or fifteen or eighteen, but you are an adult now, and you can keep reaching out and you can handle the pain 
of your mother not responding. But if you keep withdrawing from that experience, you will never be free of the illusions in this relationship. It's like touching a hot stove. It's like, ow, ow, ow. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, except it's not. It's just an emotional experience, and you are strong enough to handle that emotional experience now, right? Okay. Right, so you just, just keep going, and it's, it's, it's hell. It's, it's hell. I mean, I, I don't have to tell you this, because that's why you haven't done it, right? Uh, it's hell to do it. It's essential to do it. And uh, it, you get, that's why you get closure. Right? Closure is just certainty. Closure is just another word for certainty. So at the moment, you have a high degree of ambivalence because a good chunk of what you think about yourself is your mother's mythology about you. Right. So you want to find out if that's true or not, which means uh, you just be relentlessly honest because obviously she'd say, she would say, look, I'd prefer for my son to be honest with me, right? Yeah. And someone would say, well, even if he's upset with you, and she wouldn't say, oh, well, I never want to hear about that. She'd say, no, even if he's upset with me, I want him to be honest, right? Right. So it's like, okay, let's just take you at your values. Because if your values are objective, then you should value me being honest with you, even if it's upsetting. But if your values are just manipulative and they're just set up to hurt me, then you should get mad at me when I follow your principles. Now, you know the answer to that deep down, but it's not conscious for you yet. And the way to make it conscious is simply to put it to the test. All right. <laughs> if you say so. Well, uh, no, I, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, open to any other alternatives. And, of course, if there was a less painful way to do it, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be keen to, to do it, right? But uh, I have not discovered a way to achieve certainty except through vulnerability. But, but I'm sorry, but, but this, is, this is what your mom would say, right? She yeah, would say that she, she wants you to be honest with her, right? Yeah. So either she, she says she's saying that because she genuinely does want you to be honest with her, in which case even if you're getting angry at her, she should be pleased deep down, right, fundamentally. Or she's just saying that because she's manipulating you, in which case she'll be unhappy if you're honest with her in a way that's not convenient to her ego. But if you, if you get this kind of knowledge with your mom, you will be an absolutely unstoppable force for good in a therapeutic <laughs> environment. Right? This, is, this is the sword you have to pull from the stone. Right? This is the beast you have to bring down. Sometimes it feels like with a toothpick and bad breath. But, um, but this is, this is the, uh, the, the fire that you have to go through to uh, become, uh, I think, a powerful force for good in the world. Because once you get this with your mom, you will no longer be susceptible to it in any form with your patients, with others in your life. And once you get this with your mom, you will never, I mean, the, you know, you want to have kids, you want to have a happy marriage. The, the, the gold at the end of this rainbow is that when you get this with your mom, you will never be susceptible to it from any other woman. And then you will find the exact opposite of this kind of narcissistic manipulation to be that which you desire. And you will not be putting yourself down in order to serve the narcissistic needs of someone else you will end up with the capacity for a very happy marriage and a very different style of parenting, for want of a better phrase, <laughs> than you were exposed to, right? So there's, there's real gold in them that are hills, but it definitely is a lake of fire you've got to swim over to get there.
All right, I will do it. Keep me posted. Yeah, will do. So and, what do you? Th- uh, sorry, go ahead. What do you think? Do you think uh, psychology is a good route for me? Well, I I would listen to this again. I go through the criteria. My particular suggestion would be that I think that the way you should go is because you have. I don't think you need to go through to the to the PhD level because uh, legally, and you'll have to double check this, of course, with the uh, with more uh, specific guidance counselors in your university, but. Legally, there's no particular difference between PhDs and masters, the psychologists, okay. and the PhDs another five years, which sort of sucks, right? So Ouch. if you want to practice, you should go to the master's level, and then you should become accredited, and uh, you should, um, I think, join. Uh, I wouldn't work in a hospital setting if I were you. Obviously, it's a public health care system, and as uh, experience with Christina shows, it's pretty corrupt. But uh, you could join a group of psychologists and, uh, and be there, you know, cut your chops for a while, and then you could go into private practice on your own, and I think that you could do an enormous amount of good in the world. And this is, you know, this is the heavy lifting that nobody wants to do. We want to swarm out and vote for Ron Paul and stuff, but there's the heavy lifting of individual interaction that makes makes all the difference in the world. I mean, this is a multi-generational project, and we're just, you know, the Francis Bacon never got to see the iPod, right? <laughs> just right. by inventing the scientific method, he never got to see all the fruits, but we sure as hell wouldn't say to him, don't do it, because you won't see an iPod. So we won't get to see a free society, but this is the steps that uh, we take that will will inevitably get the world to that. So I think that would, I think it's going to give you the income that will make you comfortable. Uh, I think it will give you the accreditation that will make you more confident. I think it will also be a good mix of entrepreneurial um, opportunities to let that part of your uh, work go uh, into sway. It will give you the chance to work with people and not with people. And if you choose to do public speaking, then you can do that but minimize your travel. Uh, so right. I think it fulfills a lot of the criteria that, that you were looking for. And, and, of course, you said that you were more comfortable working with people in a longer-term environment, uh, yeah. which, of course, would be the case with psychotherapy or psychology in a way that it wouldn't be with uh, psychiatry. Well, I'm excited to get started. <laughs> Thanks for okay. having this chat with me. Well, I, I'm, you know, I, I know it was a bit of a detour, as it sort of feels like, but I think it was essential to talk about that uh, aspect of things. But um, I will, um, I'll compile this and uh, just let me know what you, uh, oh, what you think of it. You can put it out. It's cool. Oh, that's very kind of you. Uh, but I'll send you the link anyway. Um, just, just have a link in case there's anything else. I, 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 we didn't mention any names or anything, so I think you should be fine. But uh, just, just to be uh, paranoid, if you could just listen to it first. Cool. Sure. All, All right. right. Well, thanks, and Keep me posted about how it, how it goes. Thanks you very much. Have oh, um, you, oh. You, uh, you picked up your, copy, your book, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks yeah, for signing it for me. I'm sorry that you. Uh, sorry about that. I'm sorry that I, I was stuck uh, holding up some some fancy. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I'll send you uh, just as my thanks for this. I know it's helpful to you too. But I think this has been very helpful for other people. So I'll send you uh, the audiobook so you can listen to it as well as uh, having to sit there and read it. I know you younger generation kids, you know, with your iPods. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks, man. Talk to you Come soon. On. Bye.